Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts here on a frosty, cold, awful Tuesday morning. Gentlemen, this weather sucks. I just want to start with that. I want to go on the record. I do not cold like take. the current weather. That's a hot take. Um, no, it, no, I'm going to be out there with that one. It's uh, It's hard to not be depressed about it, to be honest, isn't it? Like, I mean, for it's okay to me if like a cold front comes in and it's five degrees for about three days, like it's a, okay, that's fine. But when you just see that forecast and it's like you, you expand it from the seven to the 10 day, I even for the one of the rare times looked at the full month of February because I was like, when is this supposed to end? And it's not till like February 21st or something, I think. No end in sight. That's what it looks like. Brunch, I, uh, yeah. my, my house faces south, which is great for the front. Um, not so much. Like, I'm pretty much going to have snow in my backyard until, like, July at this point, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no one wants to hear us talk about snow. Uh, Nebraska had some staff additions announced yesterday. Not a special teams analyst, but – Three other additions, uh, including one very familiar name that people seem to like quite a bit around here, judging by the message board response, Bill Bush back at Nebraska. Let's start with that that one. What do you guys remember about Bill Bush and his time here in Lincoln? Uh, I mean, everybody always starts with that he's a very good recruiter, and he is. Um, It's uh, always kind of the first thing that's attached to him. Uh, he recruited uh, Prince of Mukamara, I believe, was one of his guys. Um, and, you know, he was on a, Callahan, a Bill Callahan staff that whatever warts that uh, operation had was was sort of known as go-getters on the recruiting front. So that, I mean, it's interesting that he's got that in his background and he's a Nebraska native. Uh, he's from Pender originally. He's still getting paid by LSU. Uh, so... Um, Nebraska doesn't have to give him a lot right now uh, for this, this year of service. And I don't know, he's, he's an interesting guy to have sort of stashed away, isn't he? You know, in case something happens, like you could, uh, you could see him elevating to a full-time role rather quickly. And he, and he does have a special teams, you know, coaching in his background. He did it at Nebraska under Callahan, in fact. Yeah, it, it feels like he's basically just hanging out in the event, you know, that something happens, he's the next guy up. Like, he's on the taxi squad, if you will. Yeah, that that that's a good way to probably describe it. Um, I mean, I think he's going to go right to work. He's a, It's a good guy that whenever you have somebody who's an analyst who has that much experience, like Nebraska had a guy, Bill McGovern, who was coaching and working a lot with linebackers last year. And it was kind of under the radar, but he got hired as an NFL assistant, you know, this off season, but he was a pretty valuable coach, I think behind the scenes. Uh, So those guys, you know, we get caught up maybe in the titles or the labels, who's the full-time guy. And for good reason, there's a big salary hike uh, when you get that position. But I think, uh, I think when they actually get, down to work, uh, especially a guy with his uh, track record, they're, they're, he's, he'll be seen as an equal, you know, with, with the guys who are full-time guys. Yeah, it's another intriguing voice to have, you know, on a defensive side of the ball that you know, has a lot of veteran guys. And, I mean, you, you look at where Bill Bush has been 
you know, since he left Nebraska in 07, I mean, he, he was at Utah State as the D coordinator, special teams coordinator there too. He was at Wisconsin. He was at Ohio State, Rutgers, LSU. So he, he's he's familiar, very familiar with the Big Ten. Um, he's obviously coached in big places. Um, you know, I, I think he connects well with players. That's always kind of been one thing that has kind of been a hallmark of, of his, uh, you know, career as a coach. Coach is, you know, he recruited extremely well, um, and I think that also translates a little bit to the field too uh, when he can, can connect with kids. So, you know, it, it's again, you know, a, a side of the ball that's going to need to be big for Nebraska. And I think, you know, you bring in a guy like Bill Bush, and you know, especially at a place like Nebraska that you know he's a Nebraska guy, it means a lot to him. I think it makes a lot of sense. It feels like he was kind of in that small group of. Uh, guys that with Nebraska ties that are mentioned for every job that ever comes open in Lincoln. And uh, I guess finally the stars finally aligned for him. Yeah. If you guess he's going to be the guy uh, 50 times, eventually you, you hear right. So it's uh it's like playing roulette, you know? Yeah. And then that was one of the, the additions that they added and they had two other ones, uh, another analyst this time on the offensive side of the ball. And then, of course, Marcus Castro Walker, who Scott Frost has, has known a little bit and worked with a little bit. And, and it seems like they're excited to have there as their director of player personnel. You guys have thoughts on these as well. I mean, all are good at uh, hires on, on the surface. Keenan Lowe uh, played for Frost and Lubick at Oregon. So he's very familiar. And when you think about the wide receiver room, I mean, they're, they lost the two guys who were basically their peer leaders in Wandale and Cade Warner, who were doing a lot of peer coaching. And now you add an analyst who I assume will help Lubick a lot with those young receivers and uh, is, is a younger guy, you know, he's in his mid twenties and he's going to have a respect factor too. I, I know the story was going around, but it's worth repeating about, I mean, he's a true hero. He, he's, there was a, when he was a high school coach in Portland, there was an incident where a kid came in with a gun and it was going to be a big problem. And he defused the situation and hugged the kid. And uh, I mean, that story went national for good reason, but I think he, he obviously has a background besides football that I think guys are going to be like, okay, that's, that's an interesting special guy maybe uh, that you want to learn from. So that's good. And uh, I think the the hire um, of the player personnel director is a key hire you have to have a go-between guy you know between players and coaches I think it's going to be a very layered job and I think it's good that he's a younger guy maybe that he can um, you know connect on some level with those guys and also I think it's good that Frost had a year with him at Central Florida where you've seen how he relates to players and actually seen it up close for yourself it's uh I guess too with you know Castro Walker specifically I mean it's a a, a in the past, probably a role that, that would have just been a, you know, kind of a line on your, your coach's list um, or your staff list in your program. But I mean, you kind of need those guys in your program now with the way the transfer portal is uh, for a place, especially a place like Nebraska, where you're recruiting so nationally, kids are coming from different parts of the country trying to fit in, um, you know, having somebody that can relate to, uh, kids and, and, you know, kind of help them make that adjustment to college, I think is really important. I mean, I, we've seen what's happened with the transfer portal. I don't anticipate uh, that slowing down any 
time soon. And, you know, we, we've talked, I think, and kind of probably beaten it over the head a little bit, but Nebraska's had a problem the last few years, keeping guys on campus and being able to develop them. And, and that's the kind of role that, uh, you know, is, is really huge behind the scenes for, you know, kind of having coaches uh, not, not only kind of have a pulse of their program, but also, you know, just, just being able to, to be a friendly face or, or somebody that guys can go to with problems and stuff that, that you're inevitably, inevitably going to have with uh, kids that are going off to college to play football. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's one role that, that it wasn't with, with the full media, but Scott Frost seemed to make uh, a very important, you know, point i guess when he met with the, the world herald and the journal star that this is something that they they really wanted to, to identify and, and find and and put someone in there and and i think that uh this was something they maybe not as much as a special teams analyst but i think provides a lot of value over there and and uh certainly something that they they really identified as a need so i think that that stood out to me uh and so for the fact that it's someone that they have familiarity with i think is a really good thing moving forward. Scott Frost also spoke after signing day. Nebraska, of course, last week signed one player in Wyndon Hohuli. And um, from there, Scott Frost spoke on Thursday about a variety of things. You guys were in that call. Brian, what was, uh, if you had to break it down, what was your primary takeaway from that phone call? I would say that he's still bullish on his skill position guys and he know he separates it into categories you know basically yeah if you want to talk the experience part we don't have it he said you know it's not there yet um but when it, you talk about believing you have the talent that you can develop i think he thinks they have it um and he he said as much throughout the season last year especially about the wide receivers but he doubled down on that again and said, you know, I think we have the best talent in the room we've had since I've been here at wide receiver. And he said basically the same thing about running back. Um, I don't have a problem with that uh, take. I, I, I mean, on paper, it does look like a, like they've got some depth and bodies and guys that are really interesting and have interesting resumes with that. I also understand where a fan base is just going to be skeptical for now and they will be all off season. I mean, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a, it's going to be an off season of um, there's going to be some positive talk over there, but I think they'll keep it in check. And I think whenever there is positive talk, it's going to be met with some skepticism. Like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, and that, and that's fine. That's, that's fair when you've been 12 and 20 the first three years. Yeah. The kind of along those lines, I mean, I, it, it's always interesting when uh, Scott gets, specific about certain position groups. Um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, his description of the offensive line was probably the most interesting to me because you've got a lot of depth there. You had a group that was very young last year in, in places. Um, you also, you know, had veteran guys like Hymas and Farniok, but, you know, that they, they were obviously building with an eye towards the future with, Ethan Piper, Bryce Benhart, you had Turner Corcoran, um, you know, starting the, the last game against Rutgers. So, you know, when, when Scott Frost says that he believes that group can take the, the biggest step forward, um, you know, in this offseason, I, I, I read that as a, 
you know, a sign of confidence in that group and, and maybe, you know, liking what they have there. I think it's also a little bit of a challenge too. Um, you know, cause as, as much as they kind of have more depth at the skill positions, that offensive line, I think is going to have to be uh, the, the close to a strength for the offense this coming year. If, if Nebraska is going to start to get things going in the right direction. So that, that kind of stood out the most to me was, you know, the not, not necessarily throwing the gauntlet down, but kind of setting the, the expectation a little bit for what that group uh, can be in the future and, and, and in 2021. And, and they frankly have to be uh, better there and take a step forward. Um, I think they have the guys to do it, but uh, you know, the, the, like everything else. And like Brian said, I mean, you're kind of at the, the show me, don't tell me portion um, uh, for a lot of Nebraska fans. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. With the running, with our running backs last year, uh, that are returning, and then, granted, it's a limited sample size, but they only averaged, I think, three point one per rush or something like that. I mean, they they seriously have to bring that up like two yards, you know? Like you, you want that to be around five. So uh, that's going to be the big question to me: is it, can the downhill? sort of offense that we saw against Rutgers was that a game where they just felt they could lean on a team uh that it's maybe down a guy or two um and is that gonna or is that going to carry forward into this year where you don't put so much on the QB run game but you trust your O-line and your young backs to develop two or three guys where you can you can pound on some people the good news is for that O-line when they introduced Corcoran he didn't show a lot of flaws in his first start and it was a very positive experience. I mean, they had more than 600 yards of offense. So those guys have to feel kind of good as a, as a unit, you know, about how they work together in that first game. I even liked Ethan Piper in that game. He got benched for a little bit and he came back and then was part of those two long touchdown drives. So he responded to a challenge within that game. So that's a, that's the sort of stuff you want to see just more consistently now. Yeah. And, and I think the big thing for me about that is really going to be how they call the game. I mean, they, they look one way against Rutgers because they specifically decided to run the ball in, in that fashion. And they didn't do the same thing the week before against Minnesota. Like, I think that's where frustration boils over. I think that's what makes it hard about this offensive line. Like I, I believe they can be a strength of this team. I think that they can, can lead from out front that way, but it takes the play calling, whether that's Scott Frost or Matt Lubick or a combination of the two to actually go and do that instead of falling in love with horizontal passing um, or, you know, falling in love with the specific quarterback run game. So I, I do wonder um, if, if so many of these conversations all just revert back to, we won't know until next September, August, I guess, if you will, if they're truly committed to this running game, they talked about it last year and they didn't do it. And so I, I just think that so much is predicated on whether they're actually going to to play through the running backs uh, or if it's going to be still quarterback dominant and then uh, a lot of passing thrown in there as well. Yeah. The other good news that I'd say that came out of it to me was a more confirmation that Miles Farmer's injury timetable isn't quite as bad as I might have thought when it first happened. You know, when you saw it or heard about it back in December – it was one of those scary injuries where a guy gets carted off and you wonder like, is this going to be something that takes like a full year? And I don't want to, you know, let's not spike the football yet on this one, but it sounds like he at least could be limited availability 
in the spring, which I think is very, very, uh, very good news for the safety spot because I think he's an important guy for the future. Let's uh, let's take a few minutes here. Let's dive into basketball a little bit. We we haven't talked much about Nebraska basketball because they hadn't played, but they played two games in the last what three days. They're going to play four games in the next two days or something like that. Isn't that how the Big Ten and their their emphasis on safety and Nebraska is going to play forty seven games in a week or something? I don't understand it, Brooks. What's going on here? Well, you, that's what happens when you miss that many games with COVID. And, uh, you know, Nebraska is probably looking at playing four games a week uh, in, until the end of the regular season. And that's a tough place to be, uh, obviously, if you're a, a program that, that's trying to, to get any kind of footing um, and, and, and show some progress. And just as an, as an example, so we're, we're recording this on Tuesday. Nebraska played – on Saturday, Michigan State, they flew to Minnesota. They played Minnesota on Monday, flew home on Monday night. They've got an NCAA-mandated off day on Tuesday. They play Wisconsin on Wednesday night. And I believe have to take one more off day, um, either on Thursday or Saturday, because they have uh, an, an added game on Friday night at home before having to travel to play early on Sunday afternoon against Penn State. So what that basically means is that Nebraska basketball is going to be, for example, the, the game against Wisconsin. Nebraska is going to have to do all of its prep, all of its scouting with its players and everything during uh, the, the, the shoot around on Wednesday morning. So, I mean, that, that's kind of where this team is at and, and unfortunately where they are with the schedule. So it, it's going to be a rough go. And, you know, obviously you've seen, you know, a, a disjointed team coming off the COVID protocol stuff. The turnovers are up. They're not shooting well. Uh, they've actually played, I think, decently on defense, um, all things considered. But I mean, I, I, I don't think that uh, you should probably go into the next stretch of games looking for a dramatic turnaround with this group. Um, it's just going to it's just a, a tough situation. And, and, you you know, at least this season, you could say, all right, you know, you, you can develop guys, you can bring guys along. But, you know, Nebraska is not even getting practices now. And that, that's you know, when you kind of start looking forward, you kind of wonder, you know, what are they actually getting out uh, of these next three weeks? Uh, aside from just the the time, you know, in, in games together, it's just going to be, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. Why? So I don't understand why this decision is being made if the same conference was okay without football being made up, but they're trying to shoehorn these basketball games in and so much discussion about players. Like this doesn't seem safe to me. You have a team that had a COVID issue and you're going to have them play four games in a week, three weeks in a row in an entire month. They don't get a practice. They don't get a prep. Like I, I cannot fathom how this makes any sense based on player safety, let alone the competitive fairness of the whole thing to just shoehorn games in that ultimately don't matter. They're going to do this with other teams. Like is, is uh, Michigan going to be forced into the same situation? Like, I'm just – I'm somewhat baffled by this decision. 
Yeah, I mean, well, you, you, you've seen teams that, you know, Penn State was kind of having to go through this uh, earlier, uh, I guess in late January. They, they had a lengthy pause. Michigan State was kind of the same thing. I mean, the, the problem is, is that Nebraska's pause was so long that, you know, you, when you miss six games, um, you know, you, I guess the league has decided that you need to play as many of them as possible. They're going to move things around. Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's, it's an extremely large competitive disadvantage for a team uh, to, to, to basically be playing an NBA schedule uh, while, while coming off of COVID. So it, it's, uh, you know, things have kind of lined up against Nebraska in some ways. Cause I mean, you, you go back to the summer and uh, the fall and, and they kind of stayed clear of COVID where a lot of other teams were, you know, had their pauses before the season started. I mean, Indiana is a good example of a team where most guys on that roster and the coaching staff had had it by the time the season even started and Nebraska uh, had not. And, and now you're kind of seeing the, the ramifications, I guess, of that, but yeah, it's not, not ideal uh, by any means. And then you also have, you know, the potential that Nebraska could be playing back-to-back nights in some cases where, you know, they're already going to be in a location. So you, you play, you know, the, the second game against that team too. It's, it's just not, uh, it's not good. Not good at all. Yeah. It's just uh, the, the big 10 has just looked absolutely terrible across every level in my mind going back to August. So this shouldn't be a big surprise. I'd ask you about Nebraska baseball, but they don't even know when they're supposed to play Uh softball schedule came out. So that's exciting. Well, but- I mean, I think everybody knows <laughs> like there, there's just no official word. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, everybody's kind of known what the setup's going to be with the 44 games and conference only and all that other stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't seem like it should take this long to, to roll out a schedule, but uh, you know, here we are. And, and, you know, the worst part about it is, is, you know, you, you're going to have likely Nebraska and, and other big 10 teams traveling to, to neutral sites and, and things like that to, to play these kind of bigger tournaments against other big 10 teams on planes and whatnot. But it's apparently uh, that's safer than, than taking a bus up to Omaha to play Creighton or, or Omaha. So yeah, it's, but, uh, it's another, you know, feather in the big Ten's cap, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's move off of big 10 bashing, which I could do all day. I promise you. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're actually going to be joined by Alan true of 24-7 Sports. We'll get his thoughts on what Nebraska did in their 2021 class. We'll learn more about how, how the Big Ten did overall. All that and more from Alan as we come back with the Husker 24-7 podcast here shortly. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we are back here with the Husker 24-7 podcast, and we are joined by Alan True, one of our many esteemed teammates here at 24-7 Sports, one of the guys that handles some of the, the rankings here in the Midwest. Alan, have you enjoyed any break at all? from the, uh, the end of the second signing period to roughly right about now here on a Tuesday morning? <laughs> no, I haven't. I actually haven't enjoyed a break from the end of last year's because we were about to take a vacation last year when the pandemic happened and we still got our, our tickets to Florida to rebook for this year. So um, in a couple of weeks here, my kids have midwinter break, so I'm going to be able to take a few days then. But uh, our planned vacation from signing day 2020 hasn't even happened yet. Everybody's just waiting to take visits. You, the the 2021 kids that never got to, the 2022 kids that are clinging to May. It's a uh, it's a wild schedule right now. It is. Uh, everybody's just kind of rolled with the punches. It's it's funny because I think when that first shut down, we were like, well, maybe we can rebook in the summer. And a lot of these kids were going, well, at least we can go to summer camps. And then here we are, uh, almost a year later, still still kind of sitting in the same position. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Nebraska put together a 2021 class that featured a number of kids in the Midwest that went into Iowa, that went into South Dakota. They obviously pulled quite a few kids from their own state here in Nebraska. When you look at that class, and I know we had you uh, jump in as part of the Super Six, um, you, you certainly have spoken to us numerous times about this class. What kind of stood out to you as you size up what Nebraska did in a pandemic recruiting year in 2021? Yeah, so I thought um, first that when you looked at the past couple classes, you know, they've, this is about the same as they've been. They've been a top five class in the big 10, uh, under Scott Frost, I believe every single year that he's been there, um, or at least close to that. So right about where you think they would finish a top 20 class in the country, exactly the same mark as last year. But what I thought was interesting was, um, you know, those classes were a little bit more heavy on the wide receivers. You had some DBs. This one at the top, you had a tight end, which is unusual, and it was a heck of a get at tight end. And then you had a linebacker from all the way out in Hawaii in a year where it was going to be more difficult, I thought, for Nebraska to really branch out and cover all corners of the country, which is something they've done. But you just wondered with the pandemic, would that affect them? And Scott Frost even said that on the Big Ten Network show that uh, they were going to focus a little bit more locally this year, but then still able to come around and have their second highest ranked guy in the class be a Hawaii kid who had never visited campus. So uh, that, that really stood out to me. I mean, I, I think, um, like I said, so you stockpiled at some other positions the last couple of years. And then this year you're able to get into the defensive front seven and you're able to sign three really t- talented tight ends. And those were positions that maybe weren't as represented at the tops of the last couple classes. Just kind of looking at you, you meant, I guess we'll start with the tight end class. Cause I think that's, you know, kind of where the strength lies, obviously with Thomas Fedoni, but uh, you, you had a pretty deep evaluation of James Carney, um, kind of a local kid here, and also A.J. Rollins out of Omaha. What, what, what do you kind of make of those, the, the non-Fedoni guys, I guess, in, in that position group that Nebraska is bringing in? I mean, I think the biggest positive that I can say about James Carney and, and A.J. Rollins is that even if somehow you, know, you hadn't signed Thomas Fedoni, I think you'd feel really good about James Carney and AJ Rollins as the two tight ends in your class. So that, that's, you know, that's a huge 
uh, mark for those both of those guys. James Carney just happened to be a little bit of a late bloomer, a guy who really put himself to work and improved his game and his testing numbers and his everything about him improved through the pandemic. Uh, and in a different time, you know, this this is a we happen to be in a period in recruiting where guys who catch on as seniors um, don't get the type of attention that they used to. But this kid, for this kid to still pick up offers as a senior, which is much harder to do at the Power Five level now, I think tells you what schools were seeing on tape from them. And that Nebraska really kind of fit him into this class when it looked like they could just be done at tight end and call it a day, I think tells you what they think of him. And, and, and the same with Iowa, a school that's obviously done a, a really great job at evaluating tight ends. And then A.J. Rollins, I think, has kind of become – forgotten man of the group because Carney came on so strong as a senior and Thomas Fedoni has all these great press clippings, but you know, AJ Rollins is a, is, you know, comes from a, a lineage where his dad was a college basketball player. He's got the size, I think, to almost go in a lot of different directions. Um, you know, I think he's athletic enough to play tight end, but if he's a defensive end in their three, four in a couple of years, or if he even just nature takes over and he becomes an offensive tackle, wouldn't be surprised there either, but you take a big athletic guy and just kind of let let the, let it play its course out. Speaking of athletic, one of the my favorite guys in this class that uh, he's not going to be at the, the high end of the rankings, but I think he's someone that could contribute early, especially on special teams, is Marcus Buford. We've seen Nebraska go into St. Thomas More back-to-back years. They ended up with Elante Brown, now Marcus Buford. What do you know about him as a, as a player? He ended up uh, at St. Thomas more, I think in no short part because of Alante Brown. And now he's at Nebraska. And I think that connection helped there too. Yeah. So I think in the super six, I had him down as the sleeper of my class. I saw him, he was at Bolingbrook in Illinois as a sophomore and saw him play. And then he was at several camps that summer in the Midwest. And every time I saw him, I kept going like, how does this guy, not have more offers like how is this guy not a national recruit and that continued he moved down to texas played at Deion sanders's school you know helps them win a state title plays both sides of the ball there and it still seemed like the recruitment they got some power five offers but it wasn't like he he really took off i think he's just kind of a victim of circumstance of having moved around um, a little bit and and for a minute i think schools were kind of wondering exactly what position is he? he was playing some wide receiver he was playing some safety uh if you if you, anybody who was at the camps that I was at uh, would have said, this guy is a no brainer, high end power five cornerback. Um, And I remember being at a camp, a satellite camp here where many college coaches were at and a big 12 coach saying, well, that that kid's undoubtedly the best cover man here. Um, So I think he's kind of slipped under the radar for a couple different reasons. And I think he's, I mean, I really think he's a great take and he's going to come in well-schooled, a little bit older than the rest of the group well-traveled, you know, kind of used to being on his own at St. Thomas More. So I think for all of those reasons, he's going to be a guy who's going to be ready to compete immediately. Uh, another another defensive back, another guy that you had in your Super 6, a guy that ended up as a top sleeper and inside the Super 6, because I think around here people were pretty enamored with him, Kobe Bretts, another late bloomer, I guess, if you will, too, um, though I think grades and academics played a little bit of a part as to why he didn't have some of those offers early. That's a guy that I think, Nebraska could use as either a defensive back or as you kind of talked about earlier, these players continue to get a little bit bigger. They slide down a level. He could end up as a linebacker before it's all said and done. What'd you like about Kobe Bretts when you dove deeper on him? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we liked the film. It was just hard to tell 
maybe exactly what we were dealing with athletically. And then we went to some of those camps and combines of the Warren Academy stuff. And, and we saw the numbers that were coming out of that and some of the clips of him in seven on seven, it really gave us a, a lot of context to that athleticism. I think he was a, used heavily in the box um, in the film we had seen. And so we kind of wondered, you know, it's, it's clearly a great football player. It's hard to tell what he's, what he's like otherwise. And, and those clips and those numbers really helped us say, well, not only is this guy a great football player, he's a really good athlete. He's, he might be one of the best athletes in this class. And I think the more that we look at the linebacker position and, and what they're asked to do at the college level and even in the pros, um, there's a lot of high school safeties that end up playing linebacker at a high level. And this kid can do that. But like you said, if he ends up being a safety, it wouldn't surprise us either based on the type of athlete we is, he is. Um, we just thought when you look at the guys in this class, I think you would say he has one of the higher ceilings in this group. Just looking at your super six, Alan, you went kind of heavy on uh, line guys with Nebraska. Um, Tate Rojaska in there. Um, you also had – just lost it here, sorry. Um, let's see. You had Henry Lutowski also uh, on your list. What, what did you kind of feel like Nebraska got done, I guess, and, and on both sides of the line? That, that seems to be – two areas where Nebraska has kind of stacked guys the last couple classes that are potential difference makers. Yeah, well, they're big. So that's the first thing you'd say there's, and, and size isn't a guarantee of anything, but coaches always say, you know, if you're going to miss, you like to miss long on guys with, with the body types that can kind of fill in. And especially with what they do on both sides of the ball, you like to have some guys with some height and some length in the frames to fill in. So when you look at, Teddy at 6'8", 280 on one side of the ball, and Jalen Weaver at 6'8", 280 on the other side of the ball. Bronson Yeager, 6'7", 330-plus. You know, Ruquan Buckley's like almost the little guy at 6'5", and change, and he was, you know, 260 going in this year. I think he's closer to 280 now. And they're, and they're all really good athletes. I mean, Ruquan played basketball. You know, there's a lot of clips of uh, Henry Lutowski dunking basketballs. And I want to say these guys went back and forth on – on Twitter a little bit with dunking displays and you got a bunch of big guys who can do that. Um, I think that that's really impressive stuff. So they're not just big, uh, they're athletic as well, but I, I just thought that as a group, they're really physically imposing. There's a ton of upside there, you know, Rupon Buckley being a guy who won't turn 18 until well into his first fall at Nebraska. So uh, a lot to work with here as far as just kind of moldable prospects. Hey, Alan, Randolph Kapai is kind of a, a favorite locally in this class. I think he finished number two in our Super 6 composite. What What's sort of your takeaway of what you know about him? And obviously he started off as a highly rated guy, but how he's progressed maybe through his high school career. Yeah, so he's another one where I think when we talked earlier about uh, about Kobe Bretts and you, you say, you know, linebackers now are asked to, really match up on a lot of different types of athletes. They got to be able to cover running backs and Thomas Fedoni type tight ends and still be able to stop the run. That's a skill set to have that, that is, is a little bit rare, but when you watch this guy run around on the football field, he's a really fluid athlete. You know, he's running way down on, on kickoffs and special teams and things like that. He's playing out in space. Um, I think as far as his ranking, I think we probably overshot him a little bit, which is to really no fault of him. Um, he's still a little bit physically underdeveloped, but I think if he can add the weight necessary and keep the athleticism that you see on his film, 
Uh, I think he's going to be a really good player. And I thought his senior year kind of was the right progression. He was a little bit raw on some of the earlier film that we saw of him and uh, was less so as a senior. I think you saw him play with a little more physicality Mm -hmm. and confidence as well. Do you, uh, when you, you look at how teams did in the big 10 in 2021 recruiting, did, did it look similar to, to kind of Nebraska where it was regionally pretty heavy, uh, a lot of Midwest? I know that the Big Ten generally stays in the Midwest, but you do get some spot recruiting down in Georgia and Florida and Texas. But did, did you feel like teams were largely in the same boat of, of having to stay a little closer to home in this cycle? You know, I actually didn't. I, I saw a lot of kids coming from out of state. I mean, I, I would love to do a, run the numbers on how many kids committed and signed with big 10 schools that they, they had never been to, but it was, it was a good number. Um, you, know, you look at Minnesota, who's another school in the West that's been going outside their region and they, they're getting guys from out West. They got a kid from Washington um, still went down into the Southeast. You can look at Northwestern, which traditionally sticks pretty close to home. They finished their class with a kid from Alabama and a kid from Mississippi, which on their roster, they only had one guy from either of those two States to begin with. So I think schools kind of use the ability to say, well, let's, let's, we can, we're talking to all these guys on Zoom. It kind of even the playing field a little bit. We don't have to ask this kid from Alabama to try to get up to Evanston to take an unofficial visit. It kind of opened things up in a way. So I'm interested to see how many of these kids get on campus and uh, maybe feel like they made a mistake because they'd never been there. Um, but it's kind of funny, you know, uh, some of those schools, these kids early enrolled and it was the first time these coaches shook shook hands with those kids or had a chance to watch these kids even do anything, you know, run through a cone live. Uh, So that's the interesting part of the cycle, but no, you, I I thought it was going to be more regional than it ended up being. How do you see kind of 2022 playing out with these guys who haven't been able to take visits yet? I know he's talked on my recruiting hour show last week. Uh, you kind of felt like it could go the other way where guys might jump in the boat a little earlier simply because scarcity of, of spots in a class where teams have to get down to that 85 number in 2022 and a lot of seniors stuck around after 2021. Yeah, I think it was our Bud Elliott that put out that schools had signed, I think it was 400 less Division One signees or something like that this year, and it could be even less for 22. So I think because of that, you're going to see maybe a, a good little run on commitments between now and the middle of April. And then as soon as April opens up, I would think kids are going to start visiting immediately and pull the trigger on some of those early visits. So I'm, I'm planning on it being a pretty busy time there in April. I don't think kids are going to have the ability to wait through summer as much or announce just before the starts of their senior years. I think the numbers are going to start getting tight and it's going to force their hand as far as making some earlier commitments. All right, Alan. Hey, we appreciate your time as always. This is fantastic stuff. And uh, we look forward to seeing your content at Husker 24 uh, seven. People have been able to enjoy that for a while now. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Alan. All right. That was uh, Alan True. Happy to get him on. We're going to try to start bringing in some more guests, I think, as we go through this off season uh, here with the podcast and uh, we will catch you on Thursday with another Husker 24 seven podcast. Be sure to check out the website. We'll have plenty of stuff on recruiting. Nebraska is still making quite a few offers, doing some virtual visits, had a chance to catch up with some of those guys. And of course, you know, basketball is playing every day now, as Michael Bruns has pointed out. So there should be 
plenty of basketball coverage. We'll see if they manage to steal a game at some point in their 37 contest, 18 day death march. So we'll catch you on Thursday with another podcast. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.